All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, speaking to you here from uh, New York City on the 24th day of April 2018. Uh, before I talk more about today's show, I want to put in a little a little advertisement for myself. Uh, my newsletter uh, mining st- uh, can be purchased at miningstocks.com. Uh, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks is the name of the publication. It's published weekly, and then we summarize the w- the month with a monthly newsletter as well. And it's uh, primarily features gold mining exploration companies. And uh, well, they've not done that great recently, but I think um, their day is coming. And we'll want to ask Michael Oliver about that in a few minutes. What his thoughts are about gold and gold shares. That's uh, and the sponsors of this show. Of course, we want to thank them for making this show economically viable. Our uh, sponsors for today's show: RN Resources, Bonterra Resources, Dynacor Gold Mines, Genesis Metals Corp, Klondike Gold, New Range Gold Corp, Northern Empire, and Novo Resources. Uh, and in fact, uh, we will be talking uh, to. Uh, Peter Talman of Klondike Gold in a few minutes um, after the first commercial break. Uh, I should mention uh, Chen Lin as well, chenpicks.com for his excellent newsletter. If you'd like to sign up for Chen's letter, do that. And also send along questions, criticisms, and praises, whatever your thoughts are, to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. Whatever your thoughts are about this show and any of the guests that you hear, their ideas and so forth, we love to hear from you uh, concerning those, uh, those thoughts you have. You should know that our sponsors uh, are all by my invitation. It isn't enough for companies to have money to pay for their sponsorship, but I really want to have companies on that I know and like. Companies, in fact, in every case, are companies that I have recommended in my newsletter, um, independent of whatever they, whatever they do after that. I write for my subscribers, companies that I want to own, companies that I want to invest in and suggest others do the same, some of those companies come along and they're sponsors, but they're sponsors by invitation only, and I think that's important for you to know that. One of my sponsors that I think the market isn't paying nearly enough attention to is Bonterra Resources, which I have interviewed in the past because I think they deserve much more attention. Last week I did an extra updated interview with Peter Ball, the Vice President of Operations of Bonterra Resources. Now, this is a company that is in the process of outlining a very sizable high-grade gold deposit in Quebec. It may be one of the highest-grade gold deposits in all of Canada, and it's due to become much, much bigger given the dimensions that have been increased over the last couple of years 
with exploration. And last week we had some really great news with regard to metallurgy, the uh, the ability to win most of the gold uh, from the rock in very in a very efficient manner seems to be uh, very much uh, in the future for this company, which really adds to the economics of um, of their project, which is also in Quebec, which is uh, favorable to begin with because the uh, of low energy costs and infrastructure and everything else that's in place. So uh, you can go to jtaylormedia, jaytaylormedia.com to listen to my interview with Bonterra Resources. Now next week, Dr. Quentin Henning of Novo Resources will be with me uh, to give us his update um, on what's going on there. Well, hopefully there's going to be some assays coming out before Dr. Henning comes on the show next week. Um, you know, that's uh, his view of the Whitwaters Rand, how it was formed, and uh, that took him to northwestern Australia. So far, the stock has done extremely well, of course, uh, but if indeed there is a real Whitwaters Rand-like deposit there, there's no reason to think that the shares can't rise much, much further. Well, we'll look for a an update with Dr. Henning. Next week on this show, he'll be uh, a live guest on the show. Of course, Novo Resources has had a lot of attention and some major investors, not the least of which is Kirkland Lake, um, a company that's done put a lot of money into the uh, into Novo Resources, which has made it possible for Novo to continue exploring what is a very unique deposit, gold deposit in northwestern Australia. You won't either want to miss Peter Talman, who I mentioned a moment ago, will be my guest right after the first commercial break. Peter is the president and CEO of Klondike Gold. Uh, that's a company that I also think has a chance to become extraordinarily large. Uh, that is the uh, the gold deposit there in the process of exploring and developing in uh, uh, in in uh, the Klondike uh, of the Yukon. All right. Well, today's show I've titled Manifest Destiny, Democracy as Cognitive Dissidence. William Engdell, Peter Talman, as I just mentioned, and Michael Oliver uh, are with me today. George Orwell's famous novel in 1984 is a masterful fictional account of a state which imposes cognitive dissidence on its citizens to control their perception of reality. It is summed up in the statement, war is peace, freedom is slavery, ignorance is strength. Well, according to William Engdell, 1984 has been turned from fiction into reality by a bloodthirsty NATO that seeks endless wars and the overthrow of Russia and any other nation that gets in its way of total global domination. So we want to explore some of the uh, Williams ideas. Why is NATO so aggressive and what's the what's behind it and who's behind it? Will it prevail and what will be the economic impact on the West and its markets in either event? One thing seems certain, trillions of dollars for killing machines uh, are being spent now and will continue to lead to more dollar debasement uh, and I suggest a very strong rise in the price of gold as measured in a debased currency. As I noted a few seconds ago, and Peter Talman uh, will be with me just in a minute uh, after our first break, but right now I'm really pleased to say once again we have Michael Oliver. Um, thanks for joining me again, Michael. Hi, Jay. Good to be back. Always good to have you almost every th- week, and we're very thankful that you're willing to talk to us and give us your latest uh, views on some of the key markets, and you cover many, many more markets than we ever discuss on this show, but uh, you hit the big ones for us, and we're very thankful to you for that, and I should tell our listeners, it's Oliver MSA, OliverMSA.com, 
Go there to learn more about Michael's work. Michael, there seems to be some consternation in the equity markets now that the uh, 10-year Treasury has risen over 3%. How much further do you think uh, rates can rise before the Fed begins to uh, reverse policy? Well, I don't know if the Fed has any control over anything right now, or the ECB no. or the BOJ. Uh, BOJ still does because their, their instrument hasn't broken yet. But the bonds and the bonds, and I'm looking at 30-year UST bond futures, mm-hmm. uh, have blown the utter H out of any structure of support that I can find on annual momentum. And by that, when, when you look at a price chart of these instruments, you see a decline. Toward, toward a trend line that goes back 10 or so years. But on momentum, you've blown a flat structure that goes back 10 or more years on each of them, that, such that they've never dipped below the shallow level relative to their three-year average. But they've mm-hmm. now blown it out. So as far as I'm concerned, they're, they're totally on fire. Uh, the only issue is what's the nature of the decline? Is it rapid? Is it multi-legged and sloppy? Is there a mini-crash in there at some point, in which case rates rise rapidly? Right now, the, the 30-year bond, I think, could go to four and a quarter, uh, which is like a percent or more higher than it is now. Wow. And that would be shocking. I mean, that, that, to a lot of... Think about this. The, the Murray Rothbard, who I knew back in the 1970s, was the father of modern libertarianism, and he was an economist. Mm-hmm. He wrote a book on the Great Depression, and he, he talked about the error that is accumulated by money distortion. Uh, It's not just, you know, inflation, quote-unquote, measured by commodities or something like that. Mm -hmm. But but businessmen make decisions, families make decisions based on factors like their income or the cost of money. Yeah. It's a major factor. And if you assume, because for so long the cost of money has been, you know, nil, Uh, that the cost of money is going to stay low, then you've Mm -hmm. built a whole lot of decisions and committed a lot of money, assets, plans, etc., based on a false assumption. Mm -hmm. Because if it comes unwound, your whole enterprise could come unwound. Everything you've based upon that factor. Uh, And I think that that's hard to define as to where it occurs, to whom it occurs, but to a lot of people and a lot of institutions. And so when that comes unwound, uh, it's it's a big, big, big deal. Uh, it'll not just hit the stock market. It, it'll positively impact certain other areas and negatively impact other areas because the effect of that has been to distort prices in many markets, both upwardly mm-hmm. and downwardly, uh, so that the upward pricing in the S&P, for example, which was printed money, uh, Bernanke even stated, I want to drive the stock market up. Yeah. Make, make people happy. Well, he did, and investors channeled that river of money, narrowed it, and f- ran it into the S&P 500 and ignored everything else. Commodities, now nah, we don't want them, we don't need commodities. And commodities went down from 2011 through 2015. Uh, once that investor preference shift is fully engaged, and I think it's engaging in phases, you know, the smart money moves first and other people realize what's going on, then you'll have a vast upward shift in commodities simply because that money is being moved out of one area that's been favored for nine years into another area that's been disfavored for the last six, seven years. Uh, and that creates big jolts. So it's going to be fun. 
Well, uh, Michael, uh, certainly uh, your views, you know, and you've been consistent on this. Uh, your work has been consistent, suggesting that we're entering significant bear markets in the financial assets and stocks and bonds, mm-hmm. and a significant bull market in commodities and precious metals. And that really runs contrary to the conventional wisdom. Everybody believes that rising interest rates are going to be a death knell for gold yeah. and for commodities. But we, you and I, have lived long enough to remember the late 1970s when exactly the opposite was the case, right? Yeah, that shocked everybody with orthodox views, and I think it's underway now. Underway, not not pending. It's it's started, and uh, I mean, uh, we ran a chart, a simple graph bar chart of, of performance of gold in the S and P since the close of the year 2015, meaning all of 16, all of 17, and up through now in 18. How is gold done versus S and P? Most yeah. people would be shocked to realize the difference is about two percent or so. Mm-hmm. Everybody yeah. thinks the S&P has just outpaced everything. And here's gold, quiet, nobody even notices it, and it's barely a few percent behind the S&P in terms of its gain over the last two years and a quarter. So um, something's going on there, uh, and it's, I think there's a lot more to go on. And now that the stocks are being rattled pretty well, I think a lot of investor money will seek other places. And I think one of those places will be commodities. Why? Because right. they're behaving well, you know. All right, Michael, I, I need to ask you, because we're running out of time here, I need to ask you about something you just put out, I believe it was yesterday, uh, a special missive you put out, two big tools for the big event, an introduction right. for future use. Uh, could you explain that to me, because I haven't had time to think about it very well, much, and also quick, to my there listeners? there were two charts we showed. Um, first off, you could go back to February 2nd, prior to the week of February 5th, 6th, 7th, and 8th, 9th, which collapsed. The S&P dropped 250 points in that week. But on February 2nd, weekly close, we issued a weekend report that said the volatility is going to explode because we measured, instead of the VIX index, which measures option pricing, we measure volatility via standard deviation bandwidth readings of weekly momentum of the S&P. Now, that's a mouthful, okay? We're, we're measuring volatility a different way, suffice it to say. It's our own proprietary tool. But it gave us mm-hmm. a buy signal buy meaning buying volatility. As of the close of the week, February 2nd, the next week the S&P collapsed and volatility went through the roof. Okay. Now, when you apply that same concept to monthly readings of standard deviation of momentum as opposed to mm-hmm. weekly, which we did then, we're nearing a level, not that close, but it wouldn't take too much more to blow out a multi-year channel on this uh, monthly momentum standard deviation, which would indicate you not only get increased volatility short-term, you're going to get it for long-term, meaning we're going into a bear market. Mm-hmm. The next tool we looked at was a, a three-year average oscillator of the S&P, meaning plotting the S&P versus a three-year average. And we noted that in 2011, the European debt crisis, and in 2016, the market sold off down toward that area of the three-year average, found footing there, and rallied. But when you look at the chart, instead of a price chart making a new high in recent years, that third wave that we saw of the last few years in the S&P on the upside, above the 2013 and 14 highs, for example, mm-hmm. in price, momentum didn't make a new high. It made a third wave like a, looked like a head and shoulder pattern. Yeah. It's, nine, it's about nine years wide. And it says if you ever go back through the three-year average, mm-hmm. you, you're, you're not only down, you're going to be down for several years hard. And mm-hmm. well, the three-year average right now is in the 2200s. Next year, it's going to be in the 2400s. Mm-hmm. 
so we ain't far away. So mm-hmm. right now, as far as I'm concerned, the S&P is broken on its quarterly and partway on its annuals. And if it drops another that kind of percent, which is usually talking, you know, 100 points is about 4% now. Mm-hmm. So if you drop about 8 more percent, you're in danger of, of blowing a structure that's so massive that it will set the tune for the next few years. Uh, similar to what the T-bonds have already done on their annual momentum charts. So I, I put out those two, two different charts that are very long-term, but very big implications. And uh, we're monitoring them, and we'll update our subscribers as to when those, those two indicators say, oh, it's, it's not, only, not only are we going down, we're going down big. All right. Well, it's the kind of work that, you, that Michael puts out on a regular basis. It's very, very worthwhile. Uh, if you're a serious investor and um, you know have have some money at stake, you might want to consider subscribing. Michael comes out with stuff many times during the week that's very, very valuable. Uh, I, I couldn't be without it now, Michael. I want to thank you very much for sharing your thoughts with us and uh, look to do it again next week, hopefully. Thank you, Jay. All right, folks. Well, we do have to go to break, but don't go away. Peter Talman, President and CEO of Klondike Gold Corp., will be with us to talk about a very exciting, I think potentially very large, gold deposit in the making in uh, in the Yukon so don't go away we'll be right back with uh, with Peter Talman Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business and more on demand 24/7. New Range Gold Corps is a Canadian junior explorer focused on its recently acquired flagship Pamlico Gold Project. Located in Nevada, one of the best mining jurisdictions in the world. Known as one of Nevada's highest grade gold districts, Pamlico was held by private interests for most of its history and remains largely unexplored. Drilling by New Range is already confirming the legendary grades of the district with intercepts up to 341 grams gold per ton. Well financed with no debt, New Range is unlocking shareholder value at Pamlico and trades under TSX symbol NRG. A gold rush has begun. Recently, three of the largest gold mining companies announced strategic acquisitions in the Yukon territories. Ahead of them was a group who had already consolidated the key claims covering the historic Klondike gold rush into one company, aptly named Klondike Gold Corps. Led by a team of accomplished geoscientists, the company is steadily advancing exploration to reveal the rich source of all that gold. The hunt for the next major discovery is well underway, and Klondike Gold's shareholders are strategically positioned. Stay ahead of the majors and follow KlondikeGoldCorp.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times is Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again Peter Talman. 
He is a, a geologist. Uh, he's a president, CEO, and a director of Klondike Gold Corp. And he's had many years of experience as a professional geologist and an entrepreneur. He has uh, 35 years, actually, of something like that, of experience in in the mining industry. And he's worked in Canada, Chile, Mexico, and Australia, and uh, now in the Yukon. Thanks for joining me again today, Peter. Thank you, Jay. Good to have you with me. Um, I should mention that your stock trades in Toronto under the symbol KG. You can buy it down here in the States under the uh, over-the-counter symbol here. It's KDKGF. That's the way I purchased my shares. Uh, 96.7 million shares outstanding. I saw it at around a little under 20 cents U.S. money, giving it a market cap around $19 million, which I think is a minuscule market cap compared to what I'm hoping, uh, believing uh, very possibly you might be able to show to the markets in the future and maybe starting this year. So we want to ask you a little bit about what you've accomplished, what you learned from last year, uh, and where that might be taking you uh, in the 2018 season, uh, your summer season when you do your exploration work up there. It's uh, my understanding that there may be some legitimate comparison between your Klondike prospect up there in the Yukon and the very famous, famous or at least a very uh, successful exploration effort um, at, at the coffee project that Kamenak had. Um, now, can you can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, that was a very successful story. I, I was looking at a stock chart earlier today. That stock went from somewhere around ten, fifteen cents or so in two thousand eight to four dollars and fifty cents by two thousand eleven. Now, that's a pretty darn good return. Uh, can you share if there, if in fact you believe there are some similarities be geologically and perhaps on a project uh, basis, if there's some some similarities there between your project and and the coffee project? Uh, well, and that's really what's come to the fore since well, when we last spoke in October. I said we would go off and do compilation work, and that's one of the things we've been working on is looking at basically our neighboring property, which is the coffee deposit that Kamenak had. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of the units that are on our property are the same as are in the mine plan and are mineralized with gold at, at coffee. Oh. Um, it, it's a, a supposedly, well, and it probably is, it's a different age mineralized system, but it structurally is exactly the same as what we're seeing in the Klondike. So appreciate that when we started this in the Klondike three or four years ago, that we identified a, a structural system or a system of faults that hadn't really been seen before. Now we know the geometry of them, at least the outline, and we're looking directly at the, the that structural pattern that hosts all the gold at coffee, and it's the same pattern, and it has the same horse tails, um, and basically that that same geometry. What we're lacking. So far, we just realized this in the last week or so, is that we were missing what, at the coffee deposit, they call the link faults, um, and realized that all of our data that's been collected, and even historically over the last, whatever, since 1980, um, would have missed those types of structures because they're all, all our surveys are parallel to them. Um, so one of the just as in the granular detail, one of the targets that we're going to actually deliberately go out to explore for are some of these cross-cutting features that would never have been seen in the previous data. 
So anyway, there's there's lithology that we have, and we've done some thin section work and whole rock analysis, and yes, the same lithologies that we have on the Klondike are in the mine plant at Coffee. Ours are mineralized, and so we have a really big target as well to go and explore this coming year uh, for that. Yeah, you have a really big target, to say the least. Uh, well, something like 55 kilometers. too, but yeah. Yeah. Well, 55 well, kilometers that, uh, in length. In, 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 sorry to cut you off. In comparison, yeah. the, the coffee project is smaller. Uh, we have a larger land package, and we have shown that these faults, whether they're linked or not, go the, the full distance of our district, so 55 kilometers in length, and we have multiple structures that we know are gold mineralized. Um, and that's kind of that's the priority this year is to prove that both ends of the property are, in fact, mineralized with, with things that are economically interesting. So cross, you're going to go after these cross-sections, you say, that were not recognized before. Uh, I mean, where? Where are you going to start focusing on is on a huge property? Because I'm looking at, you know, and as I look at this thing on the map, I'm thinking, good Lord, that's just such a large target. Uh, where will you be focusing most on? Are you going to do something over the entire 55-kilometer length, or are you going to just focus mostly on one area? Uh, we, actually, there's going to be big property, the entire property scale survey, so we want to take lots of soils, quite a bit of mm-hmm. magnetics, and for the first time ever, uh, have it mapped. And currently on any map, it's all called the undifferentiated Klondike schist. So we need to know what lithologies are there, and that'll be done by the end of this year, too. But the focus is going to be still in the Lone Star to Nugget to El Dorado area, where basically we've done the most work. And we have some obvious places where there could be cross structures. The cross structures themselves aren't really the... The, the driving focus this year, this year is going to be delineate, well, at Lone Stars, just to go back a bit, last year mm-hmm. we drilled off mineralization that's at least a kilometer in length and still open, and we more mm-hmm. or less marched to drill a long strike. Uh, the compilation work we've done over the winter, and we have it all now 3D modeled, we realized that the Bonanza Fault, which we knew is the control to the gold mineralization, is a continuous dipping sheet. All of our gold that we intersected last year in the drilling sits directly in the hanging wall of that fault, and it dips a considerable way, and we have kind of one lone hole, 300 meters down dip on the Bonanza Fault. It has mineralization in it, and at that, for as deep as that mineralization is, it's still sitting 85 meters from surface because the fault follows the dip of the slope Mm-hmm. And so the kind of the, the thing that we get to do that Kamenak did before, uh, you'll see from a news flow point of view, we're going to do delineation uh, stepping down dip and just release sections. We, we need to know the geometry of it and whether all of that plane is mineralized. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a big dip extent that makes a perfect open pit if you look at it from that perspective. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um and that's that's kind of the meat and potatoes playing, as I call it, playing battleship, the old game. You just kind of drill it on a grid and see how much gold is there. Uh, mm-hmm. And that 
the other priority then is is go jump to the other fifth, the other end of the of the uh, property at Gold Run. It's another mm-hmm. creek that has a million ounces or more of gold plucked from the gravels at surface with no explanation of where that came from. And we located very late in the year last year um, some grab samples and some and the geology that's identical to Lone Star. 55 kilometers away, it may actually be the, the very same structure that is at Lone Star um, with considerable quartz veins, lots of visible gold, also some, dis, some rocks that have disseminated gold in it, and uh, we want to drill that too. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned that you've done some 3, 3D work. You've got some, you, are there some 3D images that can be viewed on, on your website by any chance, Peter? Uh, not yet. Not, we just finished not yet. Them. <laughs> What's that? Coming, coming. Oh, it's coming. Um, okay. Yeah, uh, I, we should have them up in the next. Well, now that you've poked me, I'll get them up as quick as I can. <laughs> um, but Good. It, we, it's we like pictures. In that, that 3D image that we saw it was a week ago. We finally got it all together. Um, it it shows the continuity really well, and with the gold mineralization we know about it, I that, that was that's a substantial advancement in our understanding and that, that earned me a, a, a nice glass of wine actually good good for you well you deserve it I'm sure uh, well so you know I mean the thing about when you have such a major target like this it's good news bad news bad news in the sense that it takes forever before you can start to put enough drill holes close enough together to come up with a statistical assessment of what you have in terms of uh, grade and tonnage and so forth. Uh, when do you think and how soon do you think investors might start to see something like that take shape? Uh, will you be focusing around the Lone Star, the, uh, Lone Star area of, to, to come up with a deposit at some point in time, Peter? Or is that years away, months away? How, when might we start to see or get a sense or some hope for you know, finding out what you might have in the ground? Well, and that... I, that I am sympathetic to that view of, you know, show me what you have sooner rather than later. Um, yeah. Looking at the Kamenak timeline, um, basically what we're considering now is to follow that. So, they, you know, they, they started exploring in 2008, and it was 2012, I believe, when they had a geological report, a 43-101 independent report of potential stuff. And then the following year in 20 whenever that was, 2012, 2013, they had our uh, first resource estimate. Uh-huh. And so we're going to get that, that work we need to get done is map the property, do some geochemistry over it all, magnetics, and that underlying fundamental geoscience, and we'll have that done this year. And the objective is to have a 43101 initial report produced by fall based on those results. So that might be January to March of 2019. And Mm -hmm. if we will have spent the year drilling this year, we're going to drill 50 to 70 holes at least. Mm -hmm. Most of them will be on Lone Star, um, as you say, because Lone Star is the most obvious target that has potential to host mineral resources. Uh, So drill that off on sections that would allow us to have an estimate um, that doesn't necessarily mean, I, in my opinion, I don't think Lone Star is going to be the best of what we can find, but mm-hmm. it's the first. So let's mm-hmm. get on it and get on that track of 
you know, it's very Kamenak-esque, to be honest, uh, mm-hmm. in terms of the timeline. I might just uh, point out to my listeners that uh, whilst it was about a five-year period there where Kamenak came up with a resource finally, it was, uh, as I looked at the stock chart, it was like 2011, not 2013 when the stock peaked. So uh, that just, just to keep in mind, my listeners should keep in mind that you don't want to wait until they come out and tell you how much they've got. You've got to you keep up with the drill results, and, and Peter, you'll be having some of those coming through, I suppose. We might expect late summer, early fall. Oh, earlier oh, it's than hard that, to say. I hope. So uh-huh. as soon as okay. we can get on it this year, it'll be, call it June 1st, we'll start drilling. So late July, if not earlier, for the beginning. And then we'll mm-hmm. have a continuous flow through October. All right. Uh, with just uh, about a minute left here now, do you, uh, I think you've got, uh, what, a couple million dollars in the bank, perhaps two and a half million or so. Will that, will that get you through the year or are you going to need to raise some more money this year? Uh, no, we have six and a half million in oh, you're six and a half million, current. good. And okay. we, we have budgeted two and a half million dollars this year, so it's more than what we spent last year. Good. Um, and, and we have a provisional budget of two and a half million for next year, and we would still have money left over to work in 2020. Uh, so wow. okay. really, we don't, we, we don't need funding. Uh, we also have eight million dollars of at or near the money warrants controlled primarily by insiders that we can exercise when we need more. So um, basically, if you're an investor now, you'd get two years worth of drilling without money raised at these prices for certain. Uh, And that's 100 to 150 drill holes worth of results. Well, that's very important. I, I can tell you as a as a shareholder to know that, and I wasn't I was forgetting that you had raised that much money earlier, that you have a couple of years worth of drilling and you don't have to go back to the well and dilute my interest. I came in at an early at an early stage. And I think that's what's so unfair about a lot of these situations is the people that come in at the most risky time frames are the ones a lot of times that end up getting hurt the worst. But uh, if you don't have to raise money and you've got the drill turning for the next couple of years, we could I think it's uh, that's very good news. Anything else, Peter, before we uh, before we call it quits today, given our time limits? I, I just I, I think we we have fundamentally changed the the view of the Klondike. We've made some observations that no one now we know no one else has looked at the Klondike in the way we have. Uh, we've identified gold mineralization that nobody has really considered worthy of prospecting before and there's Mm -hmm. substantial amounts of it so I I think we're definitely on to something and we can finally begin to explain the multiple sources of the Klondike alluvial plaster gold well that's very exciting well I I really look forward to seeing you up there in Vancouver coming up at the Metals Investor Forum very soon so uh, um, yeah it's it's good news Peter thank you so much for being with us and uh, we'll look to keep uh, our listeners up to date going forward as you uh, Hopefully, have some really good news coming forward in the next few months. Thanks so much for being with us again. Thank you very much, Jay. All right, folks, we do have to go to break now, but don't go away. We're going to have William Engdahl with us to talk about some of the things going on geopolitically and how they may impact uh, the gold markets, um, the markets in general, America's financial standing in the world, and so forth. So don't go away. We'll be right back with William Engdahl.
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Noble Resources Corp. trades on the OTCQX under the symbol NSRPF and on the TSX Venture Exchange under NVO. Its flagship assets are located in the Karatha region of Western Australia, where they are currently drilling and trenching their Purdy's reward project. In addition, Novo has partnered with Sumitomo Mining Corporation to advance its Beaton's Creek Gold Project toward production. With over $70 million in cash and strong shareholder support from the likes of Kirkland Lake Gold, Novo is well on its way to establishing itself as one of the top junior explorers and developers in Australia. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me one of my favorite guests, William Engdahl. And uh, William is an award-winning geopolitical analyst. He's been on this show many times before. He's written a number of books, some very, very important books, uh, having to do with geopolitical issues and, and economics that result from uh, those, those forces in play. Uh, and uh, his books have been translated into 14 different languages. He is recognized perhaps more overseas than in America, but uh, I want to do my part to get him recognized in the United States as well as, as much as possible, because much of what he has to say, I think, uh, ha- uh, much of what he has to say, I think, is very important for Americans to know because they don't hear it here. There is definitely a, a propaganda game going on everywhere in the world, of course, but not the least of which is the United States. You know, when I was a kid during the Cold War, I knew that the Russians were liars and we were nothing but truth tellers, or so I thought. And I suspect that most Americans feel that way today. Most Americans feel, still feel that what they see on television is really true. Um, and so they they believe it. And nobody's thinking very much for themselves. They're all thinking alike. And somebody said, if everybody's thinking alike, then nobody is thinking. Well, William Engdell is here to help us think today, to challenge our conventional wisdom Thanks again for joining me today, William. Jay, it's very good to be with you again. Always good to have you. Uh, always interesting. Your website is, is really a pleasure to uh, to go to. Uh, always provocative things there. Uh, I guess we're looking at WilliamAngdahl.com. That's E-N-G-D-A-H-L. E-N-G-D-A-H-L. The spelling, which I always have a lot of trouble with. Uh, my wife straightens me out on that. But anyway, I want to talk to you today about Manifest Destiny. Uh, the subtitle is Democracy as Cognitive Dissidence. Uh, your latest efforts on that, uh, your latest book that you've written and just just gone to press recently, I believe. Uh, cognitive dissidence yeah. is the state of having inconsistent thoughts, beliefs, or attitudes, especially as relating to behavioral decisions and attitude changes. I might say instead of inconsistent, sometimes outright contradictory thoughts and beliefs. So, yes. Uh, yes. Now, uh, uh, William, can you give us some, some examples 
as to how the United States and NATO have used the theme of democracy, for example, uh, to appear to take the high road, but then in fact have acted uh, in an opposite fashion that is inconsistent with the principles of democracy. Yeah. What I do, I, I quote directly from the famous George Orwell book of 1984, uh, where he talks about cognitive dissonance, Big Brother, and, and whatnot, that uh, freedom is slavery, war is peace, uh, love is hate, and, and so forth. And the cognitive dissonance that I describe in the book goes back to the creation of something very few Americans are aware of. Back during the Reagan administration, CIA Chief Bill Casey convinced President Reagan to create apparently private non-governmental organizations, NGOs, that would be, in fact, conduits to do what the CIA was doing in terms of toppling unfriendly regimes in Iran or in Guatemala or in Chile and so forth, but without the danger that the CIA would be caught with their hands on the trigger. So they created a series of NGOs, most importantly, the National Endowment for Democracy. It sounds very, very philanthropic even. Yes. You know, the National mm-hmm. Endowment for the Arts and, and so forth. And that was deliberately done, you know, this kind of linguistic manipulation that the CIA is, is uh, so good at. And they get government money, but they appear to be a private, uh, you know, do-gooder uh, NGO. And they support so-called human rights and so-called democracy, I call it fake democracy, movements that are aimed, for example, their first project was to bring down the communist regime in Poland. Well, most Americans will say, well and good, that's, that's wonderful. And, uh, mm-hmm. uh, but what they brought in was George Soros. They brought in economic shock therapy. They brought in mass unemployment, whereas before, at least under communism, everyone had a, a job. You had daycare, uh, health care uh, provided by the state, and so forth. And all of that was gone overnight. Inflation soared through the roof, hyperinflation. Mm-hmm. And this was Jeffrey Sachs and a bunch of Harvard economists and so forth creating shock therapy. And George Soros and, and friends came in and, and used dollars to buy up all the crown jewels of the Polish economy at pennies on the dollar. Then they took that to Russia and the same NGOs, the National Endowment for Democracy, Freedom House, Soros Open Society Foundation and so forth. They worked with Yeltsin to create this uh, this fake democracy that Boris Yeltsin did more to destroy Russian society and culture and uh, standard of living than 70 years of communism, I would say, did before that. And he did it in cooperation with the American or the Western NGOs and with the CIA. He literally, the top generals around uh, the KGB, sold themselves out to the CIA in return for billions of dollars. That's the origin, by the way, of the Russian oligarchs. It's not Russian organized crime. It's CIA organized crime with Russian uh, players. So Mikhail Khodorkovsky, the the great uh, victim of imprisonment by Putin. He's a crook. He's a manifest crook who tried to double-cross everybody 
and he was part of this circle of oligarchs that was created by George Bush Sr. and the Reagan administration and the CIA, and later the Clinton administration. So then uh, the book traces this whole development, the refining of the techniques, the using of Twitter, Facebook, and so forth, uh, the uh, uh, swarming techniques that the Rand Corporation developed for having mob demonstrations in Tahrir Square in Egypt against Mubarak or in, in uh, uh, Kiev in Ukraine in, in 2013-2014 to create the coup d'etat there. And uh, that was anything but a democratic revolution, but U.S. State Department called it that. Mm-hmm. So the examples are, are many, and they're still going on today. There was just one yesterday in Armenia. The prime minister, who is Armenia, is part of the Russian uh, Eurasian Economic Union. It's just, it works very closely with Russia. It's like uh, you know the European Union, but but with Russia and Kazakhstan and uh, Belarus and so forth. And now they have an anti-Russian prime minister because George Soros and the U.S. NGOs created this, uh, you know, these mass protests and caught them off guard and, and uh, forced the prime minister to step down. So this mm-hmm. this is ongoing. It's ongoing in Syria. It's, it was ongoing in uh, Egypt, as I mentioned before, against Mubarak and uh, in Libya to an extent, although there it was done militarily because Gaddafi, as you know, Jay, was about to create a gold-backed dinar and demand gold for sale of Libyan oil on, on the world market. That's that correct, and I think he had actually set up a pan-African uh, trading system, uh, uh, trading a group of countries that would trade based on gold with a gold-backed currency that that he was behind. Correct. That's my understanding. Yeah, yeah, I, I, that's precisely what was, and had that really uh, taken wing, the French influence over colonial influence over Africa through its currencies uh, uh, would be gone overnight. Uh, the uh, The whole global financial system that's based on the dollar uh, and fiat currency would would be threatened by that. So mm-hmm. Hillary Clinton, as Secretary of State, ordered ordered Gaddafi to be taken down. That's as simple as it is. Right. So, you know, just backing up a little bit with what you mentioned, uh, Casey and, uh, you know, the nation, the, the need to, or his uh, idea of setting up NGOs, George Soros being one of the ones we, we hear most often uh, during, during the Reagan years. Well, that runs very true. That rings very true with what we heard from another guest on this show. I haven't had him on in a few years now, but John Perkins, uh, author of Confessions of an Economic Hitman, who uh-huh. noted that they put yep. in the NGOs to to replace essentially, so that the so that we wouldn't see the CIA as the operative, but yep. it would be these companies that pose as corporate entity. They are corporate entities, or they pose as corporate entities. Go in, they probably have tons of money they can use to bribe and to get people in various nations on their side. They line their pockets. That's exactly what John Perkins talked about. They would offer the dictators whatever they wanted in terms of money or women or whatever, uh, and then and then get their hooks into those countries with a, you know, with uh, some major project development, get them into debt, and then they had then then essentially uh, the power base, the 
I think the deep state owned these countries and could do with, with them what they wanted. Not exactly democracy. That's just yeah. uh, the cognitive dissonance you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, that, that's you, you know, you, 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 you mentioned uh, this whole notion of the dollar, because to me, this is what is really important, what's holding, what's held the U.S. together. I mean, I'm old enough to have remembered when we were still on a gold standard, an international gold standard, and that sort of kept the playing field fairly even around the, go- around the globe. You had to earn your way to wealth. You had to produce something that the rest of the world needed. You couldn't just print money and then use it to uh, finance your military and go around and, and beat up countries that didn't obey and didn't do what you wanted. You couldn't just use dollars to buy cheap goods from China or whatever. You would have had to actually produce things yourself to earn the currency, to earn the gold currency so that you could go out and buy other things. But when we went off the gold standard in 1971, when Nixon took us off, that was a big step, wasn't it? And I would like your comments um, perhaps on what's going on in China now and Russia, because you've talked about the One Belt, One Road uh, frequently on this show. We certainly have seen now China, some very interesting things taking place in the oil markets and in the gold markets. It's my understanding now that the uh, petrol yuan has gone live and that the first, I think the first contract is coming up in September, something like that. When when the people mm-hmm. that have sold uh, have sold their oil to China for yuan, not for dollars, are going to be able to get their yuan back, or perhaps take that yuan and, and hedge it into uh, into the gold market through the Shanghai Gold Exchange. So we have these these institutions that have been put in place. You mentioned also the financial institutions that have been put in place uh, that allow this um, uh, this one belt one road major huge. A block of, of population to get uh, to, to to become uh, one together in a trading in a trading regime with uh, Russia, China, a lot of the populous countries of 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 Asia, right? Yes. Well, the uh, the Belt Road Initiative, as it's now called, the uh, Economic Silk Road, is potentially a multi-trillion-dollar infrastructure project. The road part is high-speed railway links connecting the east coast of China with uh, all the way up to Mongolia in one spur through Russia uh, to parts of Eastern Europe and on, on to Germany, even the German port, mm-hmm. uh, down through Iran, Istanbul and Turkey and uh, up through Moscow. Uh, this is a huge, huge thing. And for the first time in history, it begins to network in terms of trade flows all of the countries in Central Asia together with China and Russia and potentially Western Europe if they get their head turned around right. Uh, Right now, they're trying to oppose the Silk Road out of very narrow, short-minded thinking because they see it as, as a competition. They see that China will stand as an equal to them. Well, why shouldn't they stand as an equal? You know, mm-hmm. Germany had its industrial revolution in 1870, after 1871. Britain had it in the 1700s. America had it after the Civil War. Uh, you know, why should China be forbidden to develop its economy the, the way the Chinese model sees fit to develop it? Mm-hmm. So uh, this is not only a game changer, I call it the game changer in terms of the global economy. What you have on the western side of the ledger, western uh, meaning everything 
past Ukraine going toward Europe and, and across the Atlantic, are countries that can do nothing but wage wars everywhere, bombing Syria, France, uh, Britain, and the United States, bombing Syria before any proof of, of chemical uh, weapon use has, has been verified independently. Uh, why why, why the, the mad rush to, to bomb? And, uh, yeah. Why not wait until the verdict is in? So this, this is the kind of hysteria of a, you know, every empire in world history, and, and uh, in a sense, the construct around the dollar, we Americans don't like to think of us as an empire, but de facto it's an informal empire built around the dollar system, built around the rating agencies of Wall Street, uh, Moody's, Standard Poor's, Fitch, built around the banks of Wall Street, around the U.S. Treasury, with its lunatic sanctions on everything that moves in the world today, it seems. Uh, and, you know, the totality of that is, is one uh, well-oiled machine to uh, simply dominate, dominate the world. Well, that is collapsing right now. It's a multipolar world that's emerging, and I think that's the best thing that could happen to America. Mm -hmm. You know, all that the Wall Street interests of Goldman Sachs and so in the administration, every administration, it's not, it's Clinton, it's uh, George W. Bush, it's uh, Obama, it's now Trump, Mnuchin, all these guys. So uh, this is kind of a a permanent Wall Street presence controlling American uh, government policy, and that is not to the interest of the United States of America or its citizens, as, as William, you can see. Uh, yeah, ask, ask yourself. Yeah, well, yeah, William, uh, we're just just about out of time. But uh, the whole thing, I, the idea, I think, what you're hitting on is what would be good for the American people. Not necessarily for the deep state or the the guys that are really calling the shots and, and taking us to war. The, the perpetual war machine yeah. that that Eisenhower warned us about is very much in play. It seems to me, you know, they were they, uh, they were pushing Trump to try to go after Syria big time. I mean, if uh, Bolton had his way, we would have been raining uh, bombs on Russia, on Moscow, perhaps. But in any event, uh, with just a couple of minutes left, uh, and it, maybe you can take a minute to answer this, uh, Germany. You're, you're, you, you live in Germany. Germany did not, nor, yeah. did, a, nor did Italy, back the United States uh, and, uh, and France and England in, in bombing Syria this time. Uh, what do you make of that? Does Germany yeah. have some economic interests that they don't want to? I mean, for example, I believe they would like to see a pipeline built from Russia down into Germany. Isn't that right? And do you think that's sort of the, some cracks that are starting to appear in the Western, uh, in the NATO alliance? Yeah economically driven most definitely most definitely jay the uh, there's not only the nord stream 2 pipeline going from the areas south of st petersburg to northern germany through the uh, baltic sea but the i can tell you when it comes to the potential of german soldiers facing off against even the risk of that against russian russian soldiers whether it be in syria or wherever Germany has fought two world wars and, and lost badly on both. Right, right. And uh, Russia was on the other side in both. They want nothing to do with another war against Russia today. And Russia also with Germany. Uh, the countries, I, I don't know if I, I, I'm often in Russia, and I live in Germany since many years, and I don't know any two countries who are more sympathetic and more disposed to, to cooperate together. 
Mm-hmm. Russian companies never break their contracts. American yeah. companies do. They they rip them up and double cross and whatever. Russian companies during the Cold War, Gazprom never okay. failed to deliver. William, we're gonna William, we're gonna have to leave it go at that. We're out of time, unfortunately. Never enough time with you. Thank you so much for being with us. We'll look to do it again sometime in the future, folks. That is all the time we have this week. Next week, uh, Dr. Quentin Henning, Noble Resources, will be with me. Alistair McLeod will talk about inflation and deflation, and hopefully, Michael Oliver will be with us again. Thanks again uh, for listening, and thanks again, William, for being with us. Until next week, all goodbye and God's blessings. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Bonterra Resources, an advanced exploration company, is aggressively expanding its high-grade Gladiator gold deposit in Quebec, Canada. Over the last 12 months, Bonterra has raised over $60 million and has attracted strategic investors Eric Sprott, Kirkland Lake Gold, and New York-based Vanek Gold Fund. Bonterra is focused on updating its 43-101 resource in the second half of 2018 and will incorporate up to an additional 100,000 meters of drilling, where the dimensions of the Gladiator deposit have been expanded to date nearly 500%. Bonterra trades in Canada under the symbol BTR and in the U.S. under the symbol BONXF. Oren Resources is a technically driven, capital-efficient exploration company focused on delivering shareholder value through accretive project acquisition and discovery. The company's management team has a record of success in the discovery, advancement, and monetization of exploration assets. Oren's focus is on advancing its seven premier gold exploration projects located in Canada and Peru. Oren's shares trade on the TSX in Canada and the NYSE American in the U.S. under the stock symbol AUG. For more information, please visit orenresources.com.